Well, the book of Esther is an incredible book, and it's also kind of a fun book, especially Esther chapter 1. Satire and humor is there as we lay the foundation of this incredible study in the book of Esther and see heroes like Esther and Mordecai. So today, Esther chapter 1 on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. When we find ourselves in a precarious spot, a tough culture, a difficult situation, Christian persecution, we look at the Middle East, we look at our own government, you name it, and we shake our heads and we have a headache. We can see that God is writing the story and he's going to write the end of the story and God and the believing community will have the last laugh. We will. Because we're going to be in the presence of our Lord forever. And even though weeping may last for a night, joy comes in the morning. And some of you have been in seasons where it seems like your tears have been your food day and night when you say to yourself, where's God? Where, where is God in this? And the response, why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. And sometimes we have to do some self-talk, right? Sometimes we have to just go back to Scripture. If you don't have a Scripture plan in your times of question and depression, and look, we all fight, you know, levels of feeling down and, and you know, uh, things that we, we deal with, we've got to go to the source of spiritual healing. Now, in the third year of this king's reign, verse 3, he gave a banquet for all his princes and attendants, the army officers of Persia and Media, the nobles, the princes of his provinces being in his presence. He displayed, the king did, the riches of his royal glory and the splendor of his great majesty for many days. In fact, the party lasted 180 days. Wasn't there a story 180 days around the world? This was 180 days around the dinner table. <laughs> Uh-huh. A six-month party? Are you kidding me? I have some relatives that can't stay at a party for 60 minutes. We're going, we're going to go. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, we're going to go feed our animals. We don't feed them before. What, do they got to eat every hour? <laughs> you just don't like us. Isn't that right? Well, <laughs> you want to know the truth? The truth shall set you free. Maybe not. <laughs> And not in this sense. The third year of his reign is 483 B.C. King Ahasuerus displayed his royal glory for all to see. But as we've mentioned, there's a hidden power, more powerful than the king's royal glory. There's a king of kings and a lord of lords. And in fact, I will tell you that his power and fingerprints are actually everywhere if you'll just look. Because the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. You can look at Psalm 19, 1 through 4, and then Romans 1, 19 and 20 tells us that man is without excuse because God's invisible attributes are clearly seen by what has been made. 
man is inexcusable just by the physical creation alone. So even though we could say, well, in one sense, God is hidden in the book of Esther, he is clearly seen. And so we will see some more satire uh, as the king will make an edict and he will be, you know, undermined by his wife. And one writer says, uh, the ruling class of Persia is depicted not so much as the Magnificent Seven, but more like Ahasuerus and the Seven Dwarfs, close quote. But in the backdrop uh, of all this royal display of uh, glory, quickly we'll move to the forefront, God's people in Persia and God's plan. So uh, here's what's happening now. When these days were completed, he, he gave this six-month-long party. The king, verse 5, gave a banquet lasting seven days, so an additional banquet. Of course, the six-month party apparently wasn't long enough. For all the people who were present in Susa, the capital, from the greatest to the least, in the court of the king of the garden of the king's palace. So the, uh, the garden there of the king's palace has the idea of paradise. In fact, I think the word paradise actually comes from a Persian word that literally means to walk in the king's garden. And so when Paul says, I was caught up to paradise, when Jesus looks to the thief on the cross and says, today, most surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It has this idea, this, this at least hint of meaning of walking in the king's garden and comes from a Persian idea. So the king gives this banquet. It's in Susa, the capital. There were four capitals, but this was the administrative capital of the uh, Persian empire. He gave it for the greatest uh, to the least. And there in the court garden of the king's palace. Notice the uh, excess. There were hangings of fine white and violet linen held by cords of fine purple linen on silver rings and marble columns and couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry and marble, mother of pearl and precious stones. And so this second party lasting seven days right there in the court with typically extensive gardens surrounding the uh, capital there and the palace. This was the winter palace of the king. The king, you could say, knew how to throw a party. In fact, people were sitting on and walking upon things that most of us would lock up in a safe <laughs> behind maybe a couple of walled steel doors. But he had people walking on mother of pearl and marble and he had linen and white and purple, and these descriptions in the Bible, really, the only other place you find them are descriptions of the actual temple of God, the tabernacle, and then later the temple in Jerusalem. Linen and incredible materials and gold and so forth. But we are in the court of the Persian king. And so couches of gold, silver, mosaic pavement, costly materials, marble, mother of pearl, Everything, no expense was spared. And there, the people were parting it up. Drinks were served in golden vessels, verse 7, of various kinds. The royal wine was plentiful. According to the king's bounty, the wine was flowing. The drinking was done according to the law. There was no compulsion. You weren't forced, 
For so the king had given orders to each official of his household that he should do according to the desires of each person. So each person could do whatever they want. The king's bounty flowed. People had these cups in their hands. They had all the highest fashion. It'd be reminiscent of sometimes, have you ever uh, tuned into one of those shows where they show somebody's home and you're like, no way. <laughs> and they got this room and, and one of their rooms in their house is bigger than your whole house. And there's the hangings and the marble and the gold and the goblets and the service. And just for a second, you go, whoa. It would be nice just to take a bubble bath in that tub. I don't have a tub. I got a bird bath for the birds, right? And we find ourselves, and, and we think, well, that, that's where it's at. And sometimes you watch these big royal weddings or uh, Hollywood weddings and, and no expense is spared. And, and you find out what the bill was for, you know, a couple hour event. You're like, oh my goodness, that's what I make in a year. For some of us, that's what I make in five years. And they spent that, couldn't they give me some of that money? Are there any Christians there that tithe? <laughs> Do they live anywhere close to the church? <laughs> Excess. But people were told, hey, just enjoy. Do whatever you want. Now, Queen Vashti, a new character, all we've really heard about is the king so far, second major character. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the palace maybe for the leaders, which belonged to King Ahasuerus. So, uh, again, a reiteration that he's in charge. Queen Vashti, the Greek literature records her name as Amastris, and this is what we find in extra-biblical sources. Uh, it has been argued that Vashti is the transliteration of her Persian name into Hebrew. She gave birth to Artaxerxes, the third son of the king who later succeeded his father, and uh, she's holding a banquet for the women. This was not typical that they would separate men and women. I'm not sure exactly why uh, this was going on, but she was having her own thing. And on the seventh day, so at the end of the seven-day party, uh, concluding day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, verse 10, he commanded Mahuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagatha, Zethar, Carcass, the seven eunuchs who, were, who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the princes, for she was beautiful. So the king may have been sipping on wine for a week. Seven-day party, right? And finally, he's there with his buddy and the buddies. And the implication is he's with his leaders. This is kind of a smaller party now. The queen's been having her own thing. And he says, hey, I got an idea. You seven eunuchs, come over here. Go get the queen. Tell her to look pretty and put on her royal crown. Some of the rabbis believed that he was calling her to come to them scantily dressed, if the rabbis even said, if nothing at all. That's reading more into it. But there is evidence that what he was asking for was basically for her to come in to be his trophy wife. 
to be another possession among all. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first... Pastor Michael Lance and everyone at Walk in Truth wanted to let you know how much we appreciate your partnering with this ministry, whether through prayer, by listening, and of course, financially. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, where Pastor Michael is the head pastor. We are looking to get Walk in Truth on many more radio stations, but we need your financial support to be able to do that please visit the website walkintruth.com. Click the donate button at the top, and that's where you'll learn more and how you can give online or through the mail and become a monthly partner or give a one-time gift. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. And God bless you for your donation. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. You seven eunuchs, come over here. Go get the queen. Tell her to look pretty and put on her royal crown. Some of the rabbis believed that he was calling her to come to them scantily dressed, if the rabbis even said, if nothing at all. That's reading more into it. But there is evidence that what he was asking for was basically for her to come in to be his trophy wife to be another possession among all the glory that he had been displaying for six months plus seven days. Now he wanted to bring in his trophy wife and say, hey, hey, guys, they've all got wine in them. Take a look at this lady that I've got. And we all know that too much alcohol and decisions that people make are typically a bad combination. Do you know that there's evidence in literature that actually the Persians would make policy while drinking, sometimes to excess. They would make state and empire policy tipping back some drinks. And some of us may be shocked, but, you know, I I wouldn't be surprised if some policy in our own country has been made in that same context. Some believe that the uh, seven were called here to bring the queen in her royal litter, to literally carry her into the room. We don't know for sure, but the emphasis is on her beauty. He wants to display her beauty before everyone. And what did Queen Vashti do? She refused. How many of you have seen the VeggieTales version of the book of Esther? In the, that version, she refused to make the king a sandwich. That's how. (laughs) I want a bologna sandwich and I want it now. Now! All right, you're out of here. In the real story, whatever he was asking of her to pull her away from her friends, to show her off before his drunken buddies, he said no. She said no. Now to me, this tells me something about the character of this king and his, and I'm going to put this in quotes, his love for his wife. Because no man who loves his wife would ever ask this of her. So does he love her? Or is this a power play? Or is he trying to impress his friends? You know, sometimes when we get uh, people who abuse alcohol, they do things that they wouldn't normally do. Don't know all the details, but she refuses to come to the king at his command 
delivered by the eunuchs. Then the king became very angry, end of 12. His wrath burned within him. It was a crushing blow to his ego and his pride. Just a, a note that being merry with wine is mentioned a couple other places in the Bible. Yeah, the references are Nabal's story in 1 Samuel 25, 36, and Amnon in 2 Samuel 13, 28. Let me just say, in both cases, it ends really, really bad. Now, I'm going to reiterate something that I think should be painfully obvious. Christians are instructed never to be intoxicated with alcohol. There is absolutely no excuse. I don't care what one you're going to try to bring. You are not to be drunk with wine. It's not just Ephesians 5.18 that says it. There's 1 Corinthians passages and other places that talk about drunkards and so forth, not inheriting the kingdom of heaven. You are not to be under the influence of alcohol. Now, I have been one that stood at this pulpit and said, look, you have freedom in Christ to partake if you can keep it under control and if you can do it within the right setting and context. That's between you and the Lord. But the command not to be drunk with wine is non-negotiable. Clear? I hope so. And I would question if this is something that you feel that you need, quotes, then you may t want to take another look at your walk with Jesus Christ. If you need alcohol or some other substance just to function or operate, you may want to take another look at your connection with the Holy Spirit. Let's be real. We live in a world today where this is now commonplace. Where it's all about my rights to do what I want. But look, you've got to ask some deeper questions as a Christian. It's true you're free in Jesus Christ, but it is not true that you are free to sin or to break his commands. Well, she was being treated just as another possession. One more object of the king's prestige. I'm going to get on another rant for a moment, but here it is. Women in our culture, the sex industry, um, has now made a mockery of what God intended for male-female relationships. I was doing some premarital with, with a couple, and we were talking about the origin of marriage, and I took them back to the book of Genesis, and there uh, God, um, he creates Adam, he places him in the garden before the fall, he tells him to cultivate it and keep it, Adam names the animals, um, he's given responsibility by God, but there's not a helper suitable for him. And the Hebrew literally means an ally, a partner to complete him. So God causes a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And God takes one of his ribs. And of course, the couple asks, does that mean that men have one less rib than women? Nope, that's not what it means. But anyway, he was in a deep sleep, kind of a, a sleep as though you were going under for an operation, and God uh, performs a divine operation. He takes one of Adam's ribs, and he closes up the flesh at that place. And from the rib, he creates a woman. The first recorded words by a human being in the book of Genesis are these words. Whoa, man. <laughs> it's true. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. Do you know 
that from Genesis 2 all the way to Revelation, there's a story of a marriage, sacred, ordained by God, a covenant. God brought the woman to the man. God is the first father of the bride. He walks her down the aisle to Adam, and then Adam says, oh yeah, she's someone who fits me. I've been naming all these animals, monkeys and bulls and flies, and they're, they all, they're interesting and all, but doesn't seem like there's anybody suitable for me. But she, and God walks her down the aisle, the first father of the bride. And he says, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother. Adam had no father and mother to leave. This is human. This is instituted as an institution from God. Marriage is from God. He shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Marriage is from God. When those two come together in covenant in a sexual union, I'm looking at an adult audience, aren't I? The woman bleeds. Do you know what that's a sign of? A covenant. Covenants are ratified in blood. We have taken what God intended to be sacred. And we have cheapened it and distorted it. Sometimes I'm in my office with a couple or I'm at an altar with a couple and I start to get into these things and I can just feel the room, like, go, wow. When's the last time you heard something like that? Sacredness and things that originate from God Almighty and mystical unions between male and female that go much deeper than some physical act for your pleasure to swipe right on a person or have a one-night stand or whatever the latest lingo may be. You with me, folks? This is where we are. Man's downfall is pride. The king couldn't take it. What he was trying to convey was blown up in a microsecond by his own wife. He's trying to display his power and glory. Do you see the satire and irony? And he can't even get his wife to make him a sandwich. <laughs> Grilled cheese, anything? Peanut butter and jelly? No. You see his buddies in the corner. <laughs> then the king looks, oh, quiet, quiet, he cut your head off in a second. <laughs> Do you see the satire? What? She, she, she won't, did, did you hear that? She won't come. You can see why the king's so upset. So the king said to the wise men, <laughs> he could see them, they almost bop into the room like the Three Stooges. <laughs> what do you want, king? Well, the wise men who understood the times, that's actually possibly an astrological term like divination, reading the stars, etc. Uh, who understood the times, for it was the custom of the king, so to speak, before all who knew the law and justice. So he calls in the experts, the ones who were close to him. There's the names of those guys right there, ending with a dude named Mamukin. That's one of my favorite new names. <laughs> Mamukin. What's up, Mamuk? <laughs> These were the seven princes of Persia and media who had access to the king's presence. And 
sat in the, in the first place in the kingdom. According to the law, here's the question. What is to be done to Queen Vashti because she did not obey the command of King Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs? What should we do now? Somebody pulls out a rule book. Can you imagine this? Hold on. Uh, I think it's under page 77 under uh, Article 3C. If the queen refuses to make the king a bologna sandwich, the possible options for ki said king are... <laughs> what? Well, it's refreshing to see that books of the Bible actually have humor and satire. And uh, it kind of helps us to have a little levity when we look at some of these stories and to be able to laugh at even some of the things that are going on in our culture, because if we don't laugh, indeed, I think we will end up crying. Well, you know, on a serious note, even though some of this kind of seems ridiculous on one level, someone could be in big trouble by refusing to go to the king at that time. And that's you know, as the book unfolds, we're going to see some real pressure that falls on Esther in regard to that very thing. We will include the teaching on Esther chapter 1 on Monday. So let me remind you that we do need your prayers and financial support. Uh, we want to get into more radio markets, reach more people, but we need your help. So please visit our website, become a monthly financial partner at walkintruth.com. You can also get a copy of this teaching in the book of Esther, the entire series, when you visit the website, walkintruth.com. Make sure you fellowship in your local church if at all possible this weekend, and we'll talk to you on Monday on Walk in Truth. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.